Hey, it's Beth here. Episode, oh, 441, I think. Okay, so this week was a great week with the New York Times. I got up at 8.30 and I've been doing it till it's 2 o'clock. What a great week. My favorite was this wedding. Allison Alyssa Flynn had a secret crush on Jeffrey Charles Hood from the moment she set eyes on him and he didn't know about it for years. She told everyone she knew that she was obsessed with him. She kept it from him, even people she worked with. They worked for this company called Trunk Club. He never knew about it. He had a girlfriend. She kept it really quiet. She just worked with him very professionally. And then he was gonna leave the country and he'd broken up with his girlfriend and she decided that she was going to tell him the truth. She told him the truth. They started being friends. And it took a little while because he was kind of not used to being um, stalked. And uh, she took it real easy, but she came to go visit him. And the first, the first day he picked her up at the airport, he kissed her. They went out to dinner and then she got sick. And for 48 hours, she was deathly ill, uh, throwing up. Not a great way to start the romance, but he brought her little remedies and took care of her. After she got well, she had one more day of her trip. She made it last, she made it work, and they, they just hit it off. So he was born, he wasn't used to being um, the guy everybody wants. He was born in, in Korea and raised in Richardson, Texas. Adopted as an infant by this amazing Jewish family. They loved him completely. And she decided that she would become a Jewish girl and they got married and this is the song they were they got married to crazy in love it's really a good song oh my gosh this guy mr hood was a formal former child actor he played danny for three seasons on barney and friends my kids hated barney and friends and he appeared in several of the barney movies which we never saw because they hated barney but the guy looks so cute he's so happy and he said at the end at the wedding, I have never in my life ever felt the amount of love and energy that was enveloping me. The only way I can describe it is heavenly. So he fell for it. He believed that somebody loved him this much. She stuck by him. She, she kept telling him, you're the only one. He was like, are you kidding me? And she got her man. And this is the song they got married to. I'm going to turn it off now because it's too much for me. Alexa off. Alexa, spa music. I know. There's just so much Beyonce I can do. Okay, so now we get back to something kind of like this, right? Alexa, volume up. Okay, we can handle this. Okay, then they're making customized, customized graduation caps at weddings. I mean, not at weddings, at, um, I'm still hooked on the other couple, at graduations. We were told, don't touch it, don't breathe on it. We're taking it back. Now all these people are having pictures of whatever on their graduation caps and they're framing them and I think that's very, very sweet. A little girl who got pregnant when she was at Arizona University, she never thought she'd graduate because she had a baby. She, it's $120 to get a picture of your daughter or whatever on a graduation cap. I just think the nuns in my time are rolling in their graves because that was, we weren't allowed to throw it. We weren't allowed to breathe on it. We weren't allowed to do anything 
you wore that gown and that cap and you gave it right back. And if it wasn't in one piece, God help you, is what they said. And we were scared. Okay, so then there's lavish weddings in India now. But I think this is a new, I think we need to uh, redefine lavish because this is um, unbelievable. They rent gondolas in Venice, sections of Venice, Monte Carlo. <clears throat> this weddings can cost up to $3.2 million is a really good price for a wedding. The Confederation of All India Traders, that is not even a joke. That's how they, that's how they register all the money that they've spent. This is what they actually spend on weddings after the pandemic. And traveling, you travel with 350 guests and you jet them to wherever you're going. Sounds like the greatest wedding in the world. This person who has this company called House of Clouds does some of the best weddings. And 200 people is considered a very intimate wedding. I need to make new friends. That's all I can say. Okay. So then there's this thing that I didn't even know about and it's in New York City and teenage girls, preteens, any girl of any, even mothers are devoted to this gloss that is called bomb. And it's in New York. There's a bomb store. It's kind of like American girl store or the Manola store where one time I was in the Manola Blahnik store and a bus load of little girls, little Jewish girls from New Jersey came from Short Hills screaming into the store. Grabbing shoes was the most adorable thing I ever, ever saw. Well, this store is very much the same. So this mother's there in the store with her daughters and everything is sold out in the store, out of stock, out of stock, out of stock. The mother finds a little bomb that is like tangerine color. She puts it on her lips. She looks in the mirror. She has Ernest Borgnine. She has an Ernest Borgnine eyebrow sticking out of her head. She starts screaming. The line of girls behind her is like, get real lady, just let it go. So that was all. But they found on their way out of the store, which they were leaving with nothing, her older daughter found a tube of lavender bomb. The only scent currently available. They marveled at the lavender scent, so happy to find a product that was actually for sale. She said it smelled like an old canister of Glade Rug and Room deodorizer spray from 1976. And they huffed it as if they were hammering something into their lungs, so excited they could buy it. The store is empty. You can go down the street though to, um, oh, what's the name of that store? Uh, the store that carries everything. Okay, I'll find it. But anyway, every other store carries these items except for their banner store downtown. So you can get this stuff online. You can go to all kinds of beauty shops and find these products, but you can't find the product in the store. And that's what the girls want. And I do remember that being a big thing when I was a kid. If I couldn't get something at FEO Schwarz, it really didn't count. So out of stock, out of stock, out of stock. But if you can find this for your nieces or granddaughters or whatever, it is, it's a glossy store in Soho. And you can get bomb.com, you can get it online, but if you get it in the store, it comes in an actual bag. And the 
girls will go crazy. Okay, then there's a huge obsession with tiny things. I remember this from Stanley Marcus when I was working at Neiman's a million years ago when the boys were still there, Lawrence and Stanley. And he said that he got through Harvard creating miniature books. Not creating them, finding them and reselling them. And he brought some to a meeting that we had one day and they were actually beautiful manuscripts. Well, it's come back. I've been waiting for it to come back. I'm sure his collection with his granddaughters right now is worth a fortune. Okay, so there is, oh, it's episode 441. I just found that. Okay, so this is the biggest thing I found today. Fava beans. Do you remember Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs at the end having that Chianti with fava beans and going okay well fava beans there's actually a lot of people in Italy that have favism and that's an incredibly allergic reaction to fava beans and for those with this blood disorder um, actually this was all brought to Italy from the Middle East to protect people from malaria because it's not a very really tasty bean unless you really know what you're doing. But if you have this problem, it makes you turn blue and yellow right away, get an enlarged spleen, and you have a prompt heart failure and death. Okay, so people in Italy are really disappointed that towns still have these amazing fava festivals. Okay, so this little boy was talking about, this boy was talking about when he was little in Sardinia, how they cured, how they cured these kids of fabism was, he said that his family to heal him when he was little, they laid him down and put up against his face, osc excrement, ox, O-X excrement. And he had to breathe it. And he said it cured him no end, no pills. People aren't willing to do that anymore. So they want people to have dog tags on that say favism. But these towns are fighting back because it goes back to like the Greek, Greek philosophers and fava beans. And they were sometimes in the history of Italy, the only thing that people had to eat when there was a drought and a famine because this is like a weed. And they even learned to cook the horrible husk that they're in. They're like leather. And ancient writers also suggested that they disliked Faba. So it's a dis-hate-love affair. Everyone's hated them, everyone's loved them. Ancient writers thought they looked like genitalia or a fetus. And because they caused flatulence, which drained the breath of life is what they thought back in Italy in the day. Okay, so this is a very complicated bean. It's more complicated than the beans that the cowboys were eating in Blazing Saddles. This is a disaster. Okay, so in the Middle Ages, drought-stricken Sicilians prayed to St. Joseph for rain and found salvation from the famine and the fava beans, which are still placed on church altars and venerated with cakes in the shape of the beans of the dead on All Souls Day. So the fight in Italy is intense over this bean and there's just no stopping it. I mean, even St. Peter's Cathedral has 
has this thing where they in one of their little things that they wrote on the cathedral it said that everything costs money but fava beans are free which means that they will save anyone when you're dying so this is what everybody's saying at the festivals for fava beans and i think this is brilliant if you're allergic don't come and then this woman says that she thinks her husband's allergies she says he just needs three or four times maybe six times and the husband looks at her and he interrupts and he says maybe i'm allergic to you so these huge fights over fava beans which ugh, i mean anyway everybody's got to fight over something but i found this woman in the obituaries which is my favorite section her name is bernadine strike she died at 60 which is very sad she had ovarian cancer but she she individually all I mean that means all by yourself and I'm not even kidding because I searched to find out she raised the production of blueberries in this country because we were being surpassed by China and all these little blueberry farmers were were struggling and losing their you know generations worth of farms so she went to work for it and she found out that she examined the Oregon blueberry industry and she found that growers placed plants four feet apart in rows because they thought the size of the mature bushes required that much space. Okay, she did some studies and she found out, this is so incredible, just so simple, that if you put, if you space the blueberries three feet apart, she discovered they produce 50% higher yields. And then, and then she realized that if you put them on trellises, trellises, you know, up, 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 it prevented the loss of four to eight percent of the blueberry crop when they were machine harvesting. She also found out that weed mats, if you use them instead of sawdust, it kept the temperature of the soil better and healthier, and it created a higher yield too and a much healthier blueberry and transportation. So that's what this woman did. And she's just been forgotten. You know, and blueberries really became the thing when they were good for your health and your brain and all that. But she saved so many little farms. And there she is. The only the only day she gets any credit is during her, her obituary. But I am here for, for obituaries. I will never let an obituary down. Diane Keaton is still alive and kicking. She just wrote this silly little thing, but I liked it because she said she has a brand new golden retriever named Reggie. And somebody gave her to her as a gift. I don't know why she's not mentioning names. It's probably a boyfriend. Reggie's been a bad girl all day, every day. But she's so happy that she has the room in the backyard to eat up all the plants. And she said that Reggie just takes her breath away. And I just love that. I just love that. Everything else is pretty ordinary, but not that. Okay, then I'm in the magazines section and I can't help but stop at this headline which says, a banana peel has made me question my marriage. Who's right? I'm like a banana peel. So she's on the highway with her husband, right? And the kid's in the back seat. The husband eats a banana and he throws it out the window. She goes crazy. And he says, I'm an adult, I'll do what I want. I'm sure that kid in the back seat is riveted by all of this because there is this power struggle you see amongst your parents 
like who's in who's in charge so all this is going on so she goes home and she sends him all these articles about the dangers of not biodegrading on the asphalt and all this crazy stuff and so she he says to her don't you have anything better to do with your time i'm telling you their 12 year old daughter is riveted so they reached a deadlock and then this woman asked this um ethicist in the new york times what to do can the marriage be saved he says well the banana peel will eventually biodegrade on the asphalt but bird lovers warn that the pesticide treated fruit peels can be bad for the birds. Okay, so the ethicist agrees with her. But he says, listen, you got a problem in this marriage. Two things. He's evidently very sensitive to criticism. And the second thing is he doesn't care about this marriage one bit. So he says to her at the end, he suggests that there may be deeper problems in the relationship. He says a marriage that's on solid ground shouldn't slip on a banana peel. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's right. Okay, so then we've got Naomi Campbell, an Effendi ad, and this is all over. These girls who are so busy multitasking, being moms, being executives, being like hot, hot wives, and everything else they're doing, they're carrying these little tiny purses with just a stupid little handle. No shoulder strap. I'm like, how in God's name can you be a woman who does everything in this world without a shoulder strap? Where's the baby? Where's the groceries? Where's your cell phone? Where's everything while you're carrying around this little purse that I carried when I had my, my communion? In this first grade that's what it looks like it looks like my communion purse nobody in the right and every single person is holding these dumb purses I know it's Hermes and I know it's great but Jackie Onassis didn't have a job to do she had people helping her you don't give up these little tiny purses they're so stupid looking okay so then there's this thing that I really love called momunes like communes only they're for moms so you've got all these single moms, and actually there's very many more single moms in every single ethnic group now. And they lose everything. And then they've got these kids and they've got to care for them. So they're forming little groups. Instead of living in dumb apartments, maybe three or four of them are getting together, kind of like Kate Nally, that TV show back from the 80s that was so adorable. They are living together and helping to raise their children. And one of the women said, when she came down with a headache, sore throat and body aches that knocked her flat, the two other women in her house cooked her homemade soup and cookies and shepherded the children to a nearby park so she could rest. Support system like she has never had in her life. And she said nearly 80% of the single parent families in the United States are headed by single mothers. That's criminal. That's very sad to me. According to the, oh, that's so sad, Consensus Bureau and academic research has shown that these units are more likely to experience poverty, psychological distress, low self-esteem, and lack of emotional support. Do you think? So there's now um, like dating sites 
not really, but groups that will get these single moms together. Just, it's called co-abode. And it's like a Craigslist for women that need to find other women that want to help them raise their kids. So maybe you can go out one night and she's babysitting the kids because they're all asleep anyway. And you pay the bills together. And then you've got that crazy, you know, bill for Netflix and all that. You're sharing everything. And some of these girls are putting their money together and they can buy a home. And they share it. And they share all the money. And they share everything. And they share the kids. And I'm just thinking, oh my God, that would make a kid feel so much more secure. So then there's this mommy blogger and she committed suicide. It's just so sad. She she had this site and she kept getting hammered by people who would put her down and she, she quit smoking, I mean she quit drinking for 18 months. And her name is Heather Armstrong. And she was one of the most successful bloggers on motherhood in the early 2000s. She died at 47. She said blogging helped her understand why famous people turn to drugs and suicide. It's so horrible to be targeted and to be yelled at and to be put down. And her first book that she wrote was called, it was called, It Sucked and Then I Cried, had How I Had My Baby, A Breakdown and a Much Needed Margarita. That's a very cute title, okay? This is amazing. When she started drinking again, she did this therapy. I don't know if this is so great where it was experimental, where they put her in a very deep sleep through anesthesia. And she said it was like dying temporarily. And when you want to be dead, there's nothing quite like being dead. I mean, I don't think that's really healthy. And so right after that, she committed suicide. I'm like, don't do that therapy. Take my advice, it doesn't work. So then there's this woman it's a really great woman's story, okay? <clears throat> she is the woman that is going to sell the world's most expensive document. Her name is Sharon Lieberman. She wears a beret, which I think makes a woman look really smart. I don't know why. She's got a French Chanel top on and a skirt and it's in red. And this is like the colors that people tell you to wear when you want to be really successful. She's wearing them, okay. So this woman is in charge of this huge sale and this Bible, this Hebrew Bible, might go for $50 million. She's the reason. Everyone wants to talk to her. She has spent her whole life working on this. And people come in and they're a little bit interested. And when Sharon talks to them, that's all they want. There's a short list of people who have splurged on single manuscripts, including Microsoft's Bill Gates, who spent $30.8 million in 1994 on the Leonardo da Vinci notebook known as the Codex Leicester. And Car the Carlyle Group co-founder, David Rubenstein, who purchased, purchased, a, I would do this, purchased a copy of the Magna Carta for $21 million in 2007, after it was touted by Sotheby's as the most important document in the world. Those sales help set the market for the most important document that is in Miss Sharon Lieberman Mintz's hands. It's made stops in Tel Aviv, Dallas, Los Angeles, and is back in New York. That's very interesting. Tel Aviv, Dallas, Los Angeles, and New York. 
That's where the money is, okay? So, when Sharon says it's, it's going to be a good deal, people are like hardly interested. After they spend 20 minutes with this woman, their interest, interest goes up exponentially. This one woman is in charge of this huge sale. Go, Sharon, go. Okay, so then, go to the Wall Street Journal and there is Jane Fonda. And she's just writing this little article about that, that movie that I saw, The Book Club. She's touting it, that's good. She says that the exercising she does today, if she looked at it 10 years ago, she would have called herself a complete wimp. But she says, this is what I can do at my age and she is 85. She says, I do it again. This is the sad part to me. She used to love to go to the Ritz in Paris. She loved the sheets. She loved the beds. She loved the service, the food, the smell, and the bar. But I don't go there anymore because it's too expensive. I'm like, Jane, you can't take it with you. Go back. If I were her friend, I'd say you have to go back. She said she can't drink anymore. If she has a vodka martini, was a Chopin vodka, which is her favorite. She has, she has to ride off the next day, which makes me feel that I better get all my drinking in while I can. She ate too much ice cream in Italy, but she loves having a dub bar with dark chocolate and sea salt caramel talenti gelato. I love that because I can buy those myself. This is the sad thing. She says her relationships all of them were very, very hard. Well, I'm telling you, she married the hardest men in the world to be married to. There's nothing wrong with her. All three of those guys give me a break. They were impossible to please, each for very different reasons. She took on the hardest men in the world. She says, I never really knew what a good marriage was supposed to look like. I know what it takes, but am I capable of it? No, I don't think so. She, she says she was married to some incredible men. She was married to some impossible men. She needs to make better friends. Give me a break. And she says, I wish I had been able to hang in there longer. She hung in there longer with those jerks than anyone ever could have. She's amazing. She says, I also choose men who are challenging. Okay, so she finally admits it, but that was the whole problem. She says, I think I'm over romance and I'm sad. She said she was with some gorgeous men in Italy, but she wasn't tempted. And she says that she doesn't think anything will last a long time. So why worry about a long-term relationship? I mean, Jane, just go out there and get something. Get it going. Do something crazy. It's not gonna backfire because there isn't enough time. So then there's this one last article. I wish Jane would just take another stab at it. Really. There's no long-term problem. There's nothing bad that's gonna happen. You're 85. Just, just have a fling. There'll be no regrets. There'll be no time. If, when I'm 85, I'm just not gonna get, even care about tomorrow. So anyway, this is the most unbelievable thing and I'm really worried about it, but I'm happy about it. More men confess to loving romance novels that blows my mind. So this woman, Elle Kennedy, she writes these amazing, you know, stories. 
she especially loves hockey players, which I think is very cute. And she involves hockey players in amazing romances. And one of her greatest readers, this guy, his name is Bryce Harper. He's a designated hitter for the Philadelphia Phillies and seven-time All-Star. He told GQ magazine, underdressed, because he didn't want to, but he did, that he enjoyed reading her novels to wind down in the evening. And he said he couldn't believe he said it out loud, but he had little phone calls from other athletes who said, don't you dare tell anybody, but I read them too. She couldn't believe it. To get, it's like praise from Caesar, she says, to get athletes to read romance novels. I've got to show this to Ken. He's going to, uh, he won't believe it. So, big week, great stuff. I am, I usually don't want time to go by because I'm old, but I'm very excited. I can't wait till Tuesday. I can't wait to get on the plane. I can't wait to see Sean Hayes' Goodnight Oscar and the Tom Stoppard play. Can't wait to go to my restaurant and I can't wait to report back to you. I think a trip, even just two nights, anywhere, one night, just something on your calendar to look forward to. I forgot how, oh, I hate to use the word powerful, how wonderful it is to look forward to something. So if I don't get club by like a baby seal, which I am worried about a little bit, I will, and I'm gonna use my umbrella for protection. I'm going to twirl it like Mary Poppins and try to fly. I think that will scare people. So I think I'm going to sing the song too. A spoonful of sugar, twirl my umbrella and hold it up while I'm being attacked. I think it'll be great. So that's my plan. And if I'm back on Friday, I will let you know how wonderful my trip was. I hope Central Park is still there. I hope everything's still there. And it's keeping me sane. And I will be back. Thanks. Bye-bye.